Oral Histories of the National Railway Museum. Speaking with Peter Hackworth, Howard Luscombe's story continues through the Second World War years as he moved around the state with South Australian Railways. As a young man, this is the time during the war, I presume your role was a prescribed role, in other words you couldn't go into the forces, was that something you thought about doing? Something I tried to do, I put in my resignation to the railways and I got a letter back but not from the railways, from the Manpower Act, remember that? That offered me £200 fine, six months in jail or both if I left the railways. Right. So I decided to stay. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad I did. I don't think yeah. the boys got looked after that well. Yeah. Did that create problems for you, though, as a young man? That No, I don't think so. Okay. That's probably something people aren't aware of, that Manpower Act and the power to force people yeah, to Yeah, a lot of people, jobs. I tell that, and they sort of don't believe you. They've never heard of it. All that reporting went through Keswick, didn't it? I'm not sure. Changing residences a bit, shifting around like we did. I went down and lost the letter. I'd like to have, still have that, because there wouldn't be many had them. No, £200 fine and six months jail. I mean, £200 was a massive I, amount of money, wasn't it? So you came back to Mile End after working on the P-class down there. Then where did you go next? Uh, Mile End. Yeah. Uh, on the big engines. Yeah. At this stage, a driver no, or no, a, a no, fireman? still a fireman. Yeah. I fired for a bloke called Bill Yon. He was a champion Australian champion bloke lived in King Street Mile End. And what made him a champion? Just a nice bloke to work with. So some were quite difficult to work oh, with. Oh some were almost impossible. What and sort of things would they do that would make them impossible to work oh, with? Oh don't yell and scream and carry on you know. And with the Some of them come to work half booze and some of the old fellas were very difficult. A spot of water was a heavy rain. I, I struck mostly good mates. If you did your job, they didn't have a go at you. Because some firemen could not fire an engine. <laughs> You'd relieve them along the track. And what a mess. When you say what a mess, what... what well, what? the fire was in a terrible state. And all this, you know, they just didn't know how to do the job. So, given that lots of people who listen to this won't know anything about firing an engine, when you say it was in a terrible state, how would that well, look? Well, the coal sprinkled in the wrong place and all that. We had bad coal, was wet, and he said, just fire where the bright spots are. He, he didn't, wasn't roaring me out, but he's telling me what to do, and I didn't like that. I said, there isn't any things like that you had to be smart sometimes. So uh, what's the skill in firing an engine properly? Putting the coal in the right place to get there heat distributed properly and it's not a skill it's a gift i think some number have it and some don't right and where is the right place oh well it depends what class of loco you've got t class you've got a long box you've got to go right down sprinkle it lightly all over some of the big engines you've got to fill the back up and there are x's and most of the engines you fill the back up for instance we'd work to robertstown and capunda and them places and you have to stable and then light that same engine up in the morning when you get so long to light them up but we didn't light them up very often we'd stack the back up and so it'd just smolder through and be just burnt through a bit by morning and you wouldn't have to bother getting wood and stuff lighting them up that was a gift to you had to know what to do with that too right and who taught you those skills mainly mainly when you did your first trip or say a driver would tell you you know different, we talked to mates and that, P 
payday was always an hour or two in the pub. <laughs> and in terms of if you had to fire up an engine that was completely cold, what was the process for doing that and how long would it take? Oh, different engines, different times. Some engines take five hours, Mercados and that. Some could take up to five hours. That's what you was allowed to get steam on a large type loco. We were working out of Mile End. Did you move from there at any point or did you stay the whole time at Mile End? Once you no, were I went to Port Lincoln. Four years in Port Lincoln, 48 to 52. Oh, okay. I, I couldn't give you the exact. But you were saying you we went to Wolseley first. Yeah, I went to Wolseley in 48. That he was rated driver when he went down to Wolseley. Yeah, I got rated, that's why I went to Wolseley. I was there when they broadened the gauge. And uh, what did they do? Close it on after they brought right. the economics. So when you say that you were rated a driver, what was the process to become Oh, you, rated? Get, you get a letter. You only go from a fireman to a driver. There's no real process in it. Oh, there was just, just a paper to tell you. Oh, you had to buy a parcel of these exams. I was amongst the first diesel drivers to be appointed regular, and uh, one that's card here, he was a driver that was in the express link with me, Keith Fitzpatrick. Fitzy was a fair way behind me, just the mm. same. So this is uh, Keith Fitzpatrick who we've interviewed for this, yes. Nice bloke, Keith. So what other exams did you have to do? You had to do all your signalling and that. You couldn't go out if you didn't know signals and that. You would have done that as a porter though, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. That was the advantage of being a porter before mm. I was a driver. When you went to Walsley, were you married at this stage? Yeah. That's why I went there to get a house, and I got a brand new house there to go into. A bloke called Wellsby, a hell of a nice man. I went to him and asked him, was there any chance of getting a transfer to the bush? So I would get a house. He said, yeah, I can get you a brand new one. I said, yeah, I heard those stories before. And anyway, when he told me to be ready, I went up and seen him. And he said, oh, it's not ready yet. I said, damn. <laughs> I said, I've expected that. He said, no, it'll be ready on... I say Monday we could, but the day he said it was ready. So you moved down there, and what work were you doing at Walsley in terms of driving? What were you driving? I went down there full time driving. Yeah. Narrow gauge Blue Lake to uh, Mount Gambier, broad gauge shunter, narrow gauge shunter. We all had a set roster. Those rosters worked all the time. You didn't do one this week and get put back and one on the next week. You went on a rotating roster. You know? Right. I was there when the track was all relayed through there. Right. Walsley, was that essentially a railway town? Yes. So how many people would have been working on the railways based at at Walsley in the 1940s? 40 or 50. Okay. All the trans-shipping took place there, you see. What do you mean by trans-shipping? Well, broad to narrow. Ah, okay. For instance, the um, broad gauge fuel tank used to come in and they had a big cutting where they put the narrow gauge tank down in the cutting and the broad gauge dam on top and siphon it through to the uh, narrow gauge to go to Mount Gambier and that. That all goes by road now. And that was gravity fed? That's right. And what about all the other items, the freight that would have to be transferred to the narrow gauge? They had a shed there and uh, they used to transfer all the broad gauge stuff done in special big cartons and that. They transfer that into the... uh, narrow gauge. And was that all done by hand? All done by hand. Two wheel trucks, you know, and the uh, T 
timber from the southeast that used to come through in train loads. That were all done by a overhead crane. So 40 to 50 people there and everything having to be manually transferred. So how many trains a day would have been coming in to do that change from broad gauge to narrow and vice versa? The broad had come from Tail and Bend through. Right. Only get one. Okay. Oh, if the passenger was a bit light on, they might stick a truck on that or something. There was no, no set plan to that. Narrow gauge... It was always two, two each way every day. And what was it like living in a town that was all railway people? I mean, imagine... Strange enough, we got on well. We made a practice of coming to Adelaide once a month on what we call our long weekend. And we used to always stay at the Grosvenor, wife and I, because uh, my wife was a very strict person with the kids. time we got to Wolseley, we had kids, you know. And how many kids did the two of you have? We only had two well, between us. Yeah, oh, right. Okay, two between you, right. Yeah. <laughs> two and, and she gave birth to both, I gather, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they went to school at Wolseley? Did they start school at Wolseley? No. Port Lincoln. Right. Thanks for listening to this oral history podcast from the National Railway Museum.